Amen. To God be the glory for the things the Lord has done. You know, I'm in school working on my next degree, and one of the most important things in the academy at this level that we learn is to cite our source. That when you know it's come from someplace other than yourself, if you have any integrity, you know how to cite the source. Um, and the reason we praise God the way we do for those that are a little confused, because we have enough integrity to know that we are not of ourselves. We have not made it on our own. Jeremiah said it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The old saints put it like this, if it had not been for the Lord on our side, we cite the sources God today and we thank the Lord for how the Lord has blessed us with the life that we live. As we gather in this space, I pray that you know by now that our theme for the month of September is better together. And throughout this entire month, what we are trying to press and push on you in worship and in word is to understand and appreciate the value of being in God-called and God-formed relationships. For the truth of the matter is, my brother, my sister, you are never at your best by yourself. No matter how much money you make, no matter how many degrees are on your wall, no matter what they call you on your job, the reality is that you are never at your best by yourself. That God has shaped and formed us not to live in some isolated individuality, but rather God calls us to community and God roots us in relationship, that God sends people into our lives whose presence helps propel and push us into God's purpose and God's assignment on our lives. It doesn't matter how big and bad you are. Here's what I tell you. Everybody needs somebody sometime. Let me go on and repeat that so you can tweet it right. Everybody needs somebody sometime. We've been looking at the power of relationships. And last week, we began the first part of this series examining the relationship between Paul and Barnabas. I tried to speak to you and talk to you and teach you about friends with benefits. And we looked at the reality that Paul and Barnabas are called into relationship together to fulfill an assignment God has on their lives. But that relationship sadly comes crashing down. And last week, for those who are not here with us, we took a moment to examine what makes God-called friendships come to an end. And we came to the conclusion that it was simply because Paul had a difficult personality, that there are some people it's hard to be in relationship with. Don't look at nobody. Look right up here. Um, There's some folk who have some Pauline tendencies. I suggest to you last week that one of Paul's problems was that Paul had an unforgiving spirit, and he felt he could treat John Mark any way he wanted to because he was so anointed. And there are difficulties in life dealing with people who believe they're so righteous they can be rude, so holy they can be ugly. And I simply try to remind you that having an abrasive spirit and a difficult personality is not a gift of God. 
that you cannot claim to walk right with God and be nasty with people you see every day. Paul's second problem that affects many folk is that Paul was addicted to being right. Have you ever tried to be in a relationship with someone who has to be right all the time? Paul's final problem that affects some people is that Paul was jealous. And jealousy really makes no sense in the body of Christ because God's favor on someone else's life is never at the expense of God's favor on your life. Which simply means whatever God is doing for her does not damage or limit what God is able to do for you. And when you realize that God is faithful in his favor, you can celebrate what God does with your neighbor because if God is blessing your neighbor, God's in your neighborhood. And you ought to be grateful that God is still able to bless. Today, I want to continue on examining another biblical relationship that I think is instructive and informative to us. And we read about it in the book of Ruth. If you have your Bibles or your smart devices, Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible in the Old Testament. And if you would turn to Ruth chapter one, there's a reading of the word of God beginning in verse number eight that I ask you to listen for the word of the Lord. Ruth chapter one, beginning in verse number eight, it is our custom to ask those who are physically able to stand with us as we reverence the reading of the word of God. Ruth chapter one, beginning in verse number eight, reading out of the New International Version of the Bible. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. And they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, and somebody listen to these words. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, <laughs> I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I hope you know by now after 10 years, almost 11 years of pastor and people relationship, 
I hope you know by now that I am a music aficionado. I love good music. And being born in 1972, I came of musical awareness during the birth of hip hop. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I am a sold out brown sugar baby. <laughs> but it may surprise you to know that my first musical love was not hip hop. My first musical love was disco. <laughs> now, before you cast judgment on me, I was raised on the south side of Chicago. We listen to house music. Anybody who knows house music knows that disco is the foundation of house music. I say all that because I want to title this sermon off of my favorite disco song of all time. So Joyce, it was recorded in 1975 by Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes when Teddy Pendergrass was singing lead. What you know about Teddy Pendergrass? Um, they sang the song, but it didn't go popular until a year later when it was re-recorded by Thelma Houston, who sang it so well it became number one on the charts and won her a Grammy. The song that Thelma Houston sang that she stole from Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes when Teddy Pendergrass was lead was a song that simply said, don't leave me this way. Do me a favor, if anybody around you looks like they're under 40, just tell them, don't leave me this way. Don't leave me this way. I don't want to take for granted that everybody passed Sunday school and you remember who Ruth is. So let me give you a quick cliff note background on Ruth so we can get into the heart of the message today. The book of Ruth opens at the same time as the book of Judges. And we find out very early in chapter one that during the time in which Ruth is written, there is a famine in Judah. In the midst of the famine, we are introduced to a brother in Judah named Elimelech. And Elimelech, in seeking to save his family from the hardship of famine, takes his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, and he moves them into a foreign country named Moab. Seeking to provide for his family, this Elimelech takes Naomi and Malon and Kilion and moves into Moab. And sadly, Elimelech dies. Sometime around the death of Elimelech, we are told that his two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite women. One of them marries a sister by the name of Orpah. The other marries a sister by the name of Ruth. And shortly after their marriage, within 10 years, Malon and Kilion both die. And so now in Moab are three widows, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And the Bible says that shortly, Naomi gets word that the famine in Judah is over. She's packing up her stuff to leave Moab and go back home to Judah when she notices that Orpah and Ruth are packing to go with her. They know they're obligated as her daughters-in-law to stay with her. And Naomi looks at him and says, listen, y'all ain't got to do that. Do me a favor. Go on back to your mama's house. 
stay in Moab, find you another man in Moab. Y'all ain't got to go back to Judah with me. Bible says that Orpah and Naomi and Ruth cry about it, and then Ruth and Orpah say to Naomi, no, we're going to go with you back to Judah. Naomi pushes the matter, and she says to her daughters-in-law, why in the world would you do that? She said, I can't give you any more husbands. I don't have any more sons. Girl, I'm too old. <laughs> she says, matter of fact, I'm too old to even have another husband. And if I did have another husband and did get pregnant tonight, would you wait for my child to be old enough to marry you? Girl, that don't make no sense. Going back to your mom and them's house, find you another man, stay in Moab, I'm going back to Judah. Bible says, Orpah goes, cool, I'm out. <laughs> and Ruth does something absolutely different. Ruth watches Orpah leave, but she says to Naomi, I'm not leaving you. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear the depth of a commitment of love that Ruth expresses to Naomi. They're some of the most powerful words of love you will read in all of Scripture. Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and says, I ain't leaving you. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Where you die, I die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And may God deal harshly with me if even death separates me from your side. Do you hear the depth of that commitment? Where you go, I go. Where you sleep, I sleep. Where you die, I die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. These words of love are so deep, I use them at just about every wedding I perform at this church to remind folk that the covenant commitment says this, where you go, I go. Where you sleep, I sleep. Where you die, I die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And may God deal harshly with me if even death separates me from your side. Do you hear the depth of love in Ruth's words? For you to really appreciate what Ruth says, I need to take you into antiquity and teach you something about Israeli marital laws. Is it all right to teach this morning? I, I want to teach you something you need to know called leveret. Let the church say leveret. L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E. Leveret is key to understanding what Ruth says. Leveret law says this, that if a man married a woman and they had no male children and the, male, and the husband dies, that the husband's brother is obligated to marry his brother's widow and give her children, and the children she bears are not the brother's children, they are the dead husband's children, so that his legacy lives on and his land can be preserved. It's about legacy and land. Make certain you catch this. You won't get the depth if you don't understand Leveret. Leveret says that if I marry a woman and I die before she has a son, my brother is obligated 
obligated to marry my widow and father children that are not his but are mine so that my legacy goes on and my land is preserved. Third time's a charm. If I marry a woman and I die before we have a male child, my brother has to marry her. My brother has to give her children, and the children are not his. The children are mine so that my legacy lives on and my land is preserved. Are you with me? So that when Malon and Kilion die, Orpah and Ruth are obligated to stay connected to the family because the family is expected to provide another husband. Don't you miss this, that when the sons die, the daughters-in-law are obligated to stand with Naomi because that's their family. But Naomi is expected to give them another husband. It is a relationship of obligation and expectation. I am with you because I'm obligated, but I expect you to give me another husband. Now, if you get obligation and expectation, you'll understand why one biblical scholar of the Old Testament named Judy Fentress Williams um, Dr. Judy argues in her work that when Naomi tells Orpah and Ruth, you don't have to go with me, she's releasing them from the obligation of leverage. That she's saying to them, you are no longer obliged to stay with me because I can't meet the expectation. I can't give you another husband. I don't have any more male children. And since I can't meet the expectation, you no longer have to live up to the obligation. And Orpah says, all right. I'm not going to be obliged to you because you can't meet my expectation of giving me another man. But watch what Ruth says. Ruth says, I'm not leaving you. Why? Because I'm not with you out of obligation and I'm not waiting on expectation that my commitment to you is not obligation and expectation my commitment is love and love is greater than obligation and love exists when expectation can't be met. You, you know what you need in life? You need a Ruth. You need someone who's connected to you, not out of obligation and not out of expectation but out of a love that says, I want you because of who you are. Watch this, God, deliver me from anybody who's only connected to me out of obligation. Deliver me from folk who are with me because they think they have to be with me. Lord, deliver me from anybody who's just putting up with me. Deliver me from anybody who wishes they could go in another direction. Baby girl, brother man, if you don't want to be here, can, can I preach this right here? Every now and then, you ought to hit somebody with the gospel of Fantasia. Uh, uh, if you don't love me, then don't talk to me. Go ahead and free yourself. I don't want you here 
because you have to be here. I want you here because you choose to be here. I want people in my life who are connecting me, not out of obligation, but desire. Not because they have to be, because they want to be. Not because I'm the only thing they get, but I'm the only thing they want. And if you're only with me because you think you have to be, go on and free yourself. Can I push this? Ruth says, listen, this ain't about obligation and it's not about expectation. I'm not with you because I expect you to do something for me. God, deliver me from anybody who's only connected to me because of what they think I can do for them. Is there anybody here today that knows what it's like to be with folk who use you? who are only in your world for what you bring to the table, what you add to their life, what you can do for them. Bump that, baby. I need somebody in my life who loves me when I can't do a darn thing, who loves me when I bring nothing to the table, who loves me when I can't work, can't stand up, can't do a thing. I need you to love me when I'm broke. I need you to love me when my credit score is in single digits. Because real love rises above obligation and real love is steadfast when expectation can't be met. Now I know what you're asking, how can Ruth release Naomi from the expectation when that's what Naomi's supposed to give her? How does Ruth let it go? How does Ruth love her this way? Here it is. Part of the answer is found in what I'm going to argue to you is a mistranslation of verse 16. In the original Hebrew, there is a tension in verse 16 that your English translators tried to smooth over in how they translated it. Your verse 16 reads like this, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. It's all written in future tense verbs. As if to suggest that Naomi saying to Ruth, in the future, wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you lay down, I'm going to lay down. Wherever you die, I'm going to die. Eventually, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. It's as if Ruth is speaking in the future. The problem is that in the original Hebrew, that last part of verse 16 has no verb. So let me tell you the way it really reads in Hebrew. You ready? Ruth says this, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Then it says, without verb, your people, no verb, my people, your God, my God. There is no verb to translate in the future tense. 
So what Ruth literally says in Hebrew is, yes, where you go, I'm going to go. And yes, where you stay, I'm going to stay. And yes, where you die, I'm going to die. But already your people are my people. And watch this. And already your God is my God that my trust has been put in God already, that what you see in Ruth is a woman who's already declared that her trust is in the Lord and that the Lord is her God and that she's already walking with the same God Naomi's walking with. It's already existent. Now what you ought to be asking is this, how can a Moabite woman trust in the Jewish God? Because if you know anything about Jews and Moabites, they hate each other. Jews hate Moabites, Moabites hate Jews. As a matter of fact, it's so deep that in Deuteronomy chapter 23, the Israelites are forbidden from having any interaction with the Moabites. They cannot enter our land. And yet here is a Moabite woman saying, I trust in that God. How can Ruth trust in God? real simple. She's seen something in Naomi that makes her not only want to hook up with Naomi, it makes her want to hook up with Naomi's God. That I see God doing things in your life. I see God answering your prayers. I see God keeping your life together. And I want you and the God you serve. Beloved, I came by to ask you a question. Has anyone ever made a commitment to God because of their connection with you? That, that Mary, I ought to live my life in such a way that people who are connected with me want to serve and know the same God I know and serve. They ought to want to know the God that kept me together when life was pulling me apart. The God that answered my prayers, the God that opened doors, the God that made ways. I want them to know my God. Ruth says, I want to know your God, Naomi, because I trust in him. And watch how this plays out. The reason Ruth can release Naomi from the expectation of giving her a husband is because she trusts in God. And here's what trust in God will do. You ready? This, this is profound. Catch this. Trust in God will allow you to release people from having to be God in your life. Come, 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 come. One of the greatest things you need in any relationship is clarity between what you expect them to do and what you know only God can do. Ah, oh, what messes up many relationships is that you look at them and you expect them to do what you ought to be trusting in God to do. Oh, I feel like preaching right here. Um, um, I, I, I don't need you to give me joy. I trust God to do that. I don't need you to make me feel good about myself. I trust God to do that. I don't need you to make my day better. I trust God to do that. I don't need you uh, to make me feel like I can make it. I trust God to do that. Stop putting godly pressure on me. I am not your God. Stop putting godly pressure on your spouse. He or she is not your God. And your relationship will be better 
when you learn to trust God with what God can do. So Ruth said, listen, I don't need you to give me a husband. God going to do that. I don't need you to give me a child. That's the Lord's work. And our relationship will be better when I release you from the expectation of being God to me. I'm about done. I need you to think about this. Um, so Ruth expresses this love. And your Bible in verse 18 says that when Naomi heard it, she stopped urging Ruth to leave. But Judy will tell you that's not the way the real Hebrew reads. You want to know the way the real Hebrew reads? Watch this. It's a little, it's a little shady. It's a little, it's a little, it's a little harsh. Uh, when Naomi heard Ruth's love, the Bible says she stopped talking to her. She had nothing else to say. She heard Ruth's love and went speechless. Now, why does Naomi go speechless? Because for Naomi, Ruth's love makes no sense. How can you love me when I can't do anything for you? Why do you love me when I'm at the end of my journey and I can't do anything else? How can you stay with me when I can't give you anything? Why would you walk with me when I bring nothing to the table? How can you love me in a way that is illogical? Your love makes no sense. And beloved, that's the whole point of the story. To remind us that real love makes no sense. That when you really experience true love, it'll blow your mind because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that God could see me in all of my faults and all of my failures and love me anyhow. It makes no sense that I can let God down every day and yet he meet me with brand new mercy every morning. It makes no sense that God could see how wretched I am and God loved me anyway. It makes no sense that I could ask God for what I don't deserve and God give it to me anyway. It makes no sense. It makes no sense that God would know how worthless you are and yet send Christ to die on the cross for you. It makes no sense that a Savior who could call down a legion of angels would allow himself to die so that you could live. It makes no sense that God loves us in spite of us. Bob says that that kind of love made Naomi speechless. And every now and then when you think about the love of God, it ought to blow your mind. And I don't know about you, but, but every now and then when I think of the love of God and how much God has loved me, and how many chances God has given me, and how many things God kept under the table, and how many things God swept to the side, and how much stuff God didn't let go public. When I think 
of that kind of love. Forgive me. I don't go speechless. I open up my mouth and I tell the Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you. Uh, we got another service, I gotta go. But because he loved me in a way that doesn't make sense to me, every now and then, I'm gonna praise him in a way that doesn't make sense to you. You don't know why I shout the way I do. You don't know why I praise him the way I do. Is there anybody here that can praise God in a way that makes no sense? I'm broke, but I praise him. I'm sick, but I praise him. I'm laid off, but I praise him. Hey! Real love doesn't make sense. It makes no sense that a savior who knew no sin would die for you. And what Ruth reminds me of, Judy, as we close, is that the same way God has loved us, God gives us the capacity to love someone else. Not only do you need a Ruth, you ought to be somebody's Ruth. That you love someone above obligation and expectation. That you release them from being God in your life and trust God to do what no human can do anyway. That's what this table is about. That when we break bread and share in cup, it's not just a monthly ritual. It's a reminder of a love that makes no sense. And a love that we are called to share with someone else. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his son.